Hello and welcome to today's episode of Money Talk with Skylar Fleming. If you've ever worked in the service industry, you understand how tips play a role in your income. You likely also understand how personal finance information can sometimes not work for you and your fluctuating income. Today, I have Barbara Sloan, the author of Tipped, the life-changing guide to financial freedom for waitresses, bartenders, strippers, and all other service industry professionals on the podcast. We're going to be talking about some great sound financial advice for anyone working on a fluctuating income. And this interview really helped me open my eyes to the gap that service industry professionals are left in when it comes to personal finance advice. Barbara and her book do a great job filling that gap. So be sure to check out her information in the show notes. And this is going to be a really good interview today. So make sure to stay tuned. The money talking points for today's episode are what new insights about the service industry and personal finance did I gain from this episode? And two, who is someone in the service industry that I can share this episode with or Barbara's book with? With those two money talking points in mind, let's get right into today's episode. You know, we don't talk about money enough. It's a topic that gets ignored for some reason, even though it plays a role in everyone's day-to-day life. Well, this issue is what brought Money Talk with Skylar Fleming to reality. I know you're probably busy and don't have time to research and learn about all the things that go into personal finance, but that's where this podcast, Money Talk with Skylar Fleming, comes into play. I'm your host, Skylar Fleming. I'm here to do the research and learn all the extra stuff about personal finance. The goal is just to simply get us talking about money. So let's get talking. Hello and welcome to today's interview. Today with me, I have Barbara Sloan. And for all of you podcast nerds out there like me, I'm sure you've heard of her on many other podcasts. So this is kind of exciting for me to be able to interview someone who I've heard on places like Choose FI and those kind of podcasts. So I'm pretty excited for today's interview. But Barbara, will you go ahead and introduce yourself to everybody? Yeah, thanks, Skylar, for having me on. I'm excited. Yeah, I'm Barbara Sloan. I'm the owner of Tipped Finance and the author of Tipped, the life-changing guide to financial freedom for waitresses, bartenders, strippers, and all other service industry professionals. Yeah. And I think the first place that I heard you, you were on Stacking Benjamins as well, right? Yeah. Yeah. I did a panel with them. That was so fun. Yeah. Their podcast always seems super fun. So I heard you on there. And then when I got the chance to interview, I was really excited. So this will be fun. We're talking about like, like she mentioned her book and some of the ideas around it, but today's episode is called a fluctuating income and tipping. So we're going to be talking about that. And kind of the first thing I wanted to dive into when I was listening to your story, I've never worked a job that has tips or functions on an income like that. So for me, it's something that I'm kind of unaware about. Maybe I don't fully understand it, but what's something that I can like learn or be aware of when I'm somewhere where a tip is asked for or expected, like a restaurant or the other situations that you mentioned? Yeah, I think the biggest misconception for people who have never worked in the tipped industry is that people who work on tips are subject to an entirely different sub-minimum wage. That federal minimum wage is $2.13 an hour, which is just laughable. The second misconception is that these employees have employer-provided benefits, which 90% of you know, restaurants, bars, and clubs are owned by small business owners that can't afford the overhead of an HR person or the compliance measures of complicated benefits like a 401k, paid time off policy, um, I mean, health insurance, you name it, right? And so these, in doing a lot of research for my book and sort of the aha moment that brought me to the book was in realizing that people who work on a fluctuating income 
in the service industry on tips often have a very difficult time building wealth because of the fact that they have that fluctuating income. It makes it very hard to manage your money. And they also don't have access to those employer provided benefits, which are often the biggest safety nets that people need to build wealth. Yeah, that's that's very interesting to me. I've heard about the part about the different minimum wage rules around employees who work off tips, but I'd never heard about the different benefits. That's kind of, that's crazy to me, but it makes sense that, like you said, these are small businesses likely running these places that can't afford it, but that doesn't help the people working in that place. That's that's really kind of crazy to me and really yeah. interesting to learn. And that that honestly is eye opening to me because the minimum wage thing, I think for me, my like common argument with my wife is like, well, these places should just pay a higher minimum wage. And there's maybe a place for that. I don't fully understand everything that goes into that, but, um, and I guess that's a little bit of my view, not knowing that world, but the whole thing about no benefits that that's really like shocking to me. Yeah. And I'm not, you know, I advocate for the employees. I'm not here to advocate for the business owners, but these are business owners that run on really small margins. And a big reason that tipping is, exists is because it's the government's way of saying, hey, you provide so many intangible benefits to the community. You know, you prop up everybody's real estate valuations with your businesses. Think about whenever you buy real estate, you're like, what's around me? What bars, what club, what restaurants, mm-hmm. like what's around? So this service industry props up all of our real estate valuations. It provides a level of community for people. I, I mean, they're, there's so many benefits to this industry and what it provides for a community. So it's the government's way of saying, Hey, you provide all of these intangible benefits to the communities. We need to keep a lot of these businesses around. And so we will subsidize aspects of your business, like payroll taxes, like the added cost of those employer provided benefits and let the employee know that it's on them. And so these are not evil business owners. This is just how this industry has been structured for over a hundred years. And so it's oftentimes if they had to increase the wages in in a sharp way or add all these benefits, they wouldn't make it. And so it's it's a little bit of this dance. Hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I, I like the way you painted that out saying like these places are such a benefit to their community. And I think in terms of from my position, I mean, tipping when I'm young and maybe I don't have as much money, tipping seems like something that's like, oh, I won't tip that much. But like the way you're saying it is like these places are providing a real value. So like, like do your part and and help out on with tipping the people who are providing that value to your community. I, I like that way of picturing it as a community. Awesome. Well, second thing that I'd like to talk about is we're going to talk about the people who are actually working with these fluctuating incomes and working with tips, but what's a good first step for someone who's trying to get that fluctuating income under control? Yeah. The first thing I always recommend is to track your income. Majority of people who work in the nine to five world do not have. And so that's a big reason that this advice is not touted in the personal finance space is because most people don't have to track their income. They get a W-2 at the end of the year. It tells them how much they made. And so for a lot of people in the service industry, they don't know how vital it is that they track their income. Tracking your income does a couple things. The most important thing is that it allows you to identify trends within your workplace. Every business has trends, right? If you're working in a club atmosphere, your summers are going to be slow. If you have a patio, your summers are going to be busy. And so this allows you to maybe take on second jobs. It allows you to be more of a resource to your employer because you're like, you know what? I'm going to offset this with other things and make it easier for them to schedule. Um, So tracking allows you to do that. 
Tracking allows you to properly claim the right amount of income. Claiming your income in this industry is so important because most benefits that you receive are based on your income, unemployment, the rates that you get for a mortgage, you know, a car, and the biggest financial safety net that the people in the U.S. rely on, Social Security. That's a huge, huge benefit. And if you're not claiming your income in full, then you're not going to be on the receiving end of that benefit. And, you know, SIPs, which is my acronym for service industry professionals, they age into the most economically disadvantaged population in our country. And they end up relying solely on social security, which is terrifying. Mm. So tracking that income is the first step to managing a life on a fluctuating income. Yeah, I, I think that's, I mean, it kind of makes sense to me is that if something's like going up and down and that's kind of the crazy part of your uh, financial journey is to get that under control, like start tracking that. Because for most people, I would say if they're working a job where they have a steady paycheck, the thing that's fluctuating a lot for them is their expenses. So start by tracking your expenses to get that under control. So I think that makes a whole lot of sense. And hopefully that helps paint that picture for everyone listening that if your income's moving, track it. That's the only way you're going to get it under control. Like, how are you going to know where your income's at if you're not watching it. Right. And tracking is the thing that most people hate. Most people think that they hate budgeting. Budgeting is very easy when you think about it. It's the tracking part that gets a little annoying, but it's the most important part because you need that. When people who work on a you know a fixed income and have fluctuating expenses, they need to track their expenses. In this industry, you kind of have to do the opposite. You have to track the most fluctuating aspect, which is your income. You can budget based off your expenses, which are likely more fixed than your income, which is kind of like the opposite mm-hmm. for majority of people in, you know, in the world. And so that's a big difference. And I think a lot of the reasons that people in this industry haven't found success in personal finance is because they've been doing it backwards. Yeah, that's that's fascinating to really think about. Because like you said, people think they hate budgeting, but like once you can get the tracking set up, the budgeting becomes a whole lot easier because then you actually know what you're working with. Like how how hard is it to budget when you don't actually know the numbers? But that's not really the first step you should be taking. The other reason I love tracking in this industry is because when you don't know how much you make, you're just like, Oh, you know, you don't know how much power you actually have. Mm -hmm. You know, if you get to the end of the year and you're like, Oh my God, I earned $60,000. I earned $80,000. I earned a hundred thousand dollars. Like, and then you're like, Oh, I don't have anything left to show for it. That means I spent 60, 80, a hundred thousand dollars. You're more likely to start to spend within alignment of your values and make specific trade-offs. I think in this industry, we have this, we give ourselves these false questions of like, would I rather go out or would I rather not go out? And that's not the question we should be asking ourselves. The questions can become more nuanced when we get more information. They can become, do I want to go out and spend all of this money that I just made moments ago? Or would I rather go out once a week, max out my IRA and go to Mexico? Right. And so Mm -hmm. you can ask different questions once you start to get different information. Yeah. It really just unlocks a whole world of possibilities once you start actually knowing what you're working with. And you say, oh, yeah, like you said, maybe you're making $100,000 a year. That's a lot of money. Like there's a lot that you can do with that, but you're not going to be able to do a lot if you don't really know that that's how much you're making. So I I love that conversation about getting your income under control just by, by tracking it and getting started. But my next question that I think uh, you could help answer too is, 
how can I, or someone who's working with that fluctuating income, expect to save anything when that income isn't the same month to month? How can you really stay on top of that Roth IRA? Because most people say, put in a monthly amount so that you max it out automatically by the end of the year. What if you don't have that much money one month? How do you save money if it's fluctuating all the time? Yeah, there's a couple of different strategies for this. Tracking helps you identify those trends so that you can be more prepared for those slow downs and you can anticipate them. I have some people, I mean, when I first started in the industry, I remember just working a bunch of doubles seven days a week in the beginning of the month. And then once I made enough for all of my bills, then I would offload shifts. That's a strategy. It's not the best strategy, in my opinion. My favorite strategy is for people to treat themselves like business owners, deposit all of your money into what you're going to call, quote unquote, your business account. And then you can pay yourself consistent you know, paychecks, mm-hmm. if you will, just like you would if you were an employer for yourself. It takes a little bit of a mindset shift, but this does double duty, especially for people who work in spicy entertainment side in that a lot of times they risk having one of their bank accounts shut down. And so if you should always have two bank accounts. So this does double duty for people in the industry in that way that you can have these two accounts where you're paying yourself these equal installments, which makes it easier for you to budget. And then also you can protect yourself a little bit as well with that secondary account. That's you know, that's fascinating to think about that your work might lead to one of your bank accounts getting shut down. That's that's just a that's an interesting like risk factor that most people don't ever have to even think about. That, right? that's, that's interesting. But I like the approach of set yourself up so that you're paying yourself something regularly. And I think a lot of people consider that idea when it gets to retirement, when they have their large accounts sitting there, they start paying themselves a paycheck. But I like the approach of maybe take the whole fluctuating income part out of it and just give yourself like a monthly allotment that is steady. I think that's I think that's really good advice. I like that. I like that a lot. A lot of people want to base their expenses and their lifestyle off of their big swings in life. And really, you're just never going to be able to set yourself up for retirement or save for, for important goals if you're if you're living that way. And so this allows you to live within your means and also to keep everything prioritized. Yeah, it kind of gives you a, a good means to live within. Like it gives you that guideline when you're saying, okay, I'm going to pay myself this much a month. But you know you're making more than that too. So then you're automatically saving some like in this business account, like you, like you mentioned, like you're kind of putting some money away, almost creating a little bit of like a pseudo emergency fund, so to speak, yeah. that you have a little yeah. bit of a backup. That's really I'm, interesting. I'm so lucky to be married to somebody who does corporate finance. Um, she took her company public. She does publicly traded finance. Um, and I ask her what she does at the large corporate level. And they do the same thing that I tell people in the service industry to do, which is, track your income and look for trends, look for trends, Mm -hmm. set targets for your budget, and then go back and see if your guesses were accurate. Everybody is guessing when they are budgeting. Mm -hmm. You think you have to budget perfectly, but you and your life are good enough to budget right where you are right now. You can start right now and it doesn't have to be done perfectly. In fact, the messier it is, likely the more you're going to figure out and the more, the closer you're going to feel to those numbers. And so I really encourage people to do it imperfectly. Yeah. You're never, you're never going to figure it out. And I think that's, that's one thing I like to say is like, if you're just starting out budgeting, the whole advice is to give yourself three months because that's how long it takes to really get it figured out. But even then, like you're not going to figure it out. There's going to be a month where you just destroy one of your budget categories, but you're going to be fine. 
Like and the big corporations okay. are guessing too. They're all, we're all mm-hmm. just guessing and doing the best we can, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The company I work for, like we, we make an income month to month, but then there was one month where we're like, okay, why is this category spent higher? Like, but it didn't derail the entire business. Like you said, it's just a guess. And then you reflect and you adjust. So I think that's a good approach. Look at yourself like a business. And it's always kind of fun when you take those business finance approaches and apply them to your personal life. Cause it can open up some like interesting ideas, but Next, I kind of mentioned the emergency fund a little bit, but how should an emergency fund look different for someone whose income is maybe fluctuating month to month or is in the service industry? I love this question. There's so much nuance here. Um, The first thing I'll say is that an emergency fund is incredibly important for people in the service industry. It's almost more important for people in the service industry because there is a power imbalance when you are serving other people. That emergency fund allows you to keep yourself safe and operating within the values and guidelines that you have for yourself and that your business has for them. You cannot be 100% reliant on one person's tip in order to make it financially, or you're going to put yourself in some really scary situations. I have so many situations that I think back on in my 20 years in the service industry that I wish I could have just said no to, or that I could have just said, you know what, that is not in alignment with my business's values. I'm going to get the bouncer. I'm going to get my manager. I'm going to ask this guest to leave. Um, but I needed money and in order to live. And so an emergency fund is an essential piece of the financial puzzle for service industry professionals, especially if you want to stay in this career long-term. So that's the first thing I'll say is that it's incredibly important as far as how to save it and how much to save three to six months. The interesting thing about the service industry is typically it's an easier industry to find employment. So you're not prepping for that six to nine to 12 months of job loss. If you're an employee or an executive or, you know, you own your own business or something like that, you know, it can be a little bit more on the the smaller side. But at the same time, when the pandemic hit, right, I bet people who had those three to six months emergency fund wishes wish that they had had the six to nine month emergency fund. So mm-hmm. not that you want to plan your finances around a pandemic, but just something to to be you know aware of. So and then my favorite way for people to save an emergency fund is let's say that you're let's say you're a waitress and you have a five table section in your restaurant. I love to pick one table in my section and say, you know what, that is going to be my emergency fund section. That's my emergency fund table. And I'm going to treat those people so good because they are going to be saving my butt whenever I need it. And so you just take that tip off the top. It goes right into your emergency savings. And then you also don't have to stress about it, right? It's whatever, whatever that tip is, it's what's going into that bucket. And, and I just love that it's just, it's building itself naturally and it, it almost gamifies it a little. Yeah. And you say that makes it a really fun approach. Like you said, that's your one table that you're just, you're crushing it. You're doing everything right there because you know, that's going to build you that safety net for when maybe there's a little bit of an annoying table or something, so to speak, that you maybe tone it down a notch because you have that emergency one. Or like you said, in other areas of the service industry, it allows you to put yourself in safer situations because like that, that's eye opening to me. Um, honestly, that like your emergency fund doesn't necessarily, like you said, job loss, isn't something that really impacts people in the same way because you can go find another job, but like the situation where you're in serving somebody or the uncomfortable situation, so to speak gets like, that's almost what the emergency is. 
Yeah. In, or in a, a toxic boss or yeah. even, even on the opportunity side, let's say that, you know, of a new bar or restaurant that's opening and you're like, oh my gosh, I think it's going to be really good money there. The first few months of any restaurant opening is a little brutal and you'll need some money to float yourself while you, while the restaurant gets set up, while you build your customer base. And so for you to even reach for bigger and better opportunities, it takes a little bit of a cash cushion. So those are the things that the emergency funds serve for. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. I think, I think one thing that I'm learning from this interview is that the the service industry is really like its own, its own beast when it comes to how you handle personal finance and it's own it's completely different something that honestly, I really had no knowledge about. So I appreciate you coming on. One of the last questions that I had here was any specific techniques or best practices for someone who's budgeting or living on a varying income. And I think we've covered that throughout this episode, whether it's have an emergency fund table or your approach to budgeting where you're paying yourself a regular income. Was there any other techniques or best practices that you really like to teach people about in this industry? I mean, I like to talk about investing because this is an industry that is not investing, right? They're really good at talking about how much they make. It's one of the most income transparent industries I've ever seen. And that's incredible. But the sad part is the conversation ends there. And so I like to get people talking about the money management side of things and the investment side of things, because that is so, so, so important. And unfortunately, financial services, personal finance, it's such an, it's an industry that is heavily filled with jargon and it's, excludes people in this industry, people who maybe didn't go to school or didn't have financial education growing up. And so my, this is actually my favorite chapter in the book is the investing chapter, because if you understand what it's like to be at a bar, you will understand what it's like to invest and know how to invest by the time you're done with this chapter. I like to say that you investing and wine are very, very similar. You can get into the weeds with wine. You can talk about notes and body and region and tannins and mouthfeel and age. I mean, you can get so deep in the weeds with wine, but you don't have to get that deep in order to have a great wine experience. You need to know a little bit about your tolerance and what you like, and that's all you need. The same is true for investing. You can get so deep in the weeds with investing. Calls, puts, bell curves, PE ratios. I mean, you name it, you can get Mm -hmm. so deep into it, but you don't have to get that deep into investing to have an incredible investing experience. Again, you just need to know a little bit about your tolerance and your timeline, and you can have a great investing experience. And so I really like to encourage people in the industry to just get started. Don't make it perfect. Find a a reputable discount brokerage firm and just get started. Yeah. I think one of my favorite things to talk about is just keep it simple. Like when it comes to investing, like you said, you can get overwhelmed with the amount of stuff. And I remember uh, my wife, when we like first got married, I, we were trying to figure out how we're going to talk about money. And I remember like, I think honestly, like weekly, I was telling her about all these different investment things we could do. And it was just stressing her out. And so we decided, let's just keep it simple. We're only going to talk about maybe changing our investment stuff quarterly. That way for me, I, I got the opportunity to talk about it and wasn't overwhelming her, but there was still the chance to change it, but she wasn't hearing from me every single week. So I think like you said, investing can seem like something that if you start watching too many YouTube videos, you're going to have no idea where you started or what you actually need to do. Cause there's just so many things out there. I like that idea of just keep it simple and, and find what you like and just go with that. Yeah. Um, my friend, Brian Feraldi wrote this amazing book called why the stock market always goes mm-hmm. up. And I'm just like, see it, it, it always goes up just by the whole damn market, ride the ride, 
do the thing. Just yep. get started. Yeah, I, I had that book on my desk. I think I just put it away a couple of days <laughs> ago. So it's a fantastic book read. And I'm sure your book is as well, which leads us right to the end here. If there's anything else you'd like to add, please feel free. But Barbara, would you tell everyone like how they can find you, how they can connect with you? Yeah, people can find me on all of the socials at Tipped Finance. You can find me on my website, tippedfinance.com. There you can connect with me for one-on-one coaching, doing talks at your bar club or restaurant, with speaking gigs. Um, yeah, anything. If you have a win and you're in the service industry, please email me. I love to see industry people winning and doing great things with their money. You can find the book on Amazon. You can type in tip, tip book, um, and it should pop up. Uh, yeah, it's available in paperback, hardcover, and Kindle. Thank you so much for asking awesome. that. I always forget to promote it. Yeah, no, it's it's fantastic. I, and I, I love it. This conversation for me has been eye-opening and all the other podcasts I've heard you on. It seems like this is just really an area that isn't talked about enough. So you're really like pioneering in a way this industry and like helping it get aligned with some good financial advice. So I appreciate you coming on today. Thank you so much for sharing this with your audience. I really appreciate you. Awesome. Thank you. And thank you to everyone for listening and be sure to go check out Barbara's information. Of course, there'll be all the information in the show notes. You can find her book and find her online, but thanks everyone for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's interview. I know I did. It was really, like I said, an eye-opening interview for me. One thing that I didn't realize right out the gate was that service industry professionals likely find themselves with no benefits just because they work in such a small business environment that those aren't really affordable for business owners. But one great takeaway that I really liked was all about our second question of a good first step, and that's to track your income. I really liked our conversation where we compared how people who have a steady income should be tracking their expenses. People who have a fluctuating income need to be tracking their income. The overall takeaway for me on that is if you have something that's fluctuating in your life, track it so that you actually understand how it's working for and against you. And then you can really get going from there. But this was really important. I like the whole idea that we talked about with emergency funds. Don't put yourself at risk both in your job and in job loss if that's something that you may face. But make sure you're tracking your income so you can find trends, whether that's picking up other jobs. There's really just a lot of great information to take away from today's episode. So be sure to share with a friend and especially share with someone who works in the service industry, whether it's this podcast episode or a link to Barbara's book. Thank you, Barbara, for coming on today's episode. This was a really fun conversation. If you enjoyed, please rate the podcast on whatever podcast player you're listening on. Five stars helps the podcast grow. Thank you so much for listening to Money Talk with Skylar Fleming. I'm your host, Skylar Fleming. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to Money Talk with Skylar Fleming. This show is provided for informational and entertainment purposes and may not be specific to your unique situation. Please be sure to do additional research before making any financial decisions. Thank you.